Today we kick off the Christmas season. Now I know some of you, uh, maybe some of you are like us, and, and uh, our tradition is, is that, that uh, like the day before Thanksgiving or the day before we travel to family things is when we, we decorate for Christmas. Uh, and so we kind of kicked off the, the, the Christmas season that way. But some of you, I, you, you may have kicked off the Christmas season back in October uh, when you were starting to decorate your trees, that's okay, no judgment on you. Uh, or you may be like Walmart, but, but at the same time that they were putting out de- costumes for Halloween, they were putting out Christmas decorations as well. But we, we all kind of begin the season at, at different times. But in all seriousness, today we're kicking off the Christmas season here uh, at our church with this new series that I'm starting today called He Will Be Called. And we're going to be looking at a familiar passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 9. And this passage is written by Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah writes this book, this, these 66 chapters of, of this book, some 700 years before the birth of Christ. The birth of the babe who would be born in Bethlehem to a virgin named Mary and her husband-to-be, Joseph. 700 years before Jesus is born, the prophecy is written. Now, Christ the Messiah had been foretold for generations. I mean, you go all the way back to the very first inkling, the very first hint of a coming Messiah. We find all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. It's right after Adam and Eve take of the the, uh, fruit in the garden and commit the first sin, and sin enters into the world sin, uh, and, and along with that, all of the penalties of sin, that the land would be cursed, that, uh, that man would have to work by the sweat of his brow to, to, to get food and everything, that women would have painful childbirth, uh, that, that all of those things, the curse of everything that entered into the world along with sin started right there. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says to the serpent, says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time here to go into explaining all that, but that is the first inkling, that is the first hint of a coming Messiah, a coming anointed one who would come to restore everything that was lost when sin entered into the world in the Garden of Eden. And for generations, generations and generations of people had heard about the coming Messiah, had heard that one day he was coming to restore everything, and they looked and in their day believed that he was going to come in their generation, and so they were continually looking for him, that, that he was coming. And, and, and generation after generation after generation, they continued to look for the coming Messiah. Even a few chapters after God speaks to the serpent, God had become so saddened with the state of mankind that by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, that God is sad that he has created man, and so then he is, decides he is going to destroy everything except for one who he found righteous, Noah and his family. And he, of course, tells Noah to build an ark, and, and for the next hundred or so years, that 60 to 100 years, that it takes Noah and his kids to build this ark that he saves Noah and Noah's family, his kids, him, Sham, and Japheth, and their, their wives, and so then kind of starts all over after the flood. And then just not long after they get out of the boat, after they get off the ark, then sin continues to 
grow in the world and still in need of a Savior. Every generation from Adam and Eve had been told the Messiah is coming. Every generation faced tough times in their culture. A violent world rulers, sinfulness abounding, crying out to the Lord, Lord, when are you going to restore things? Lord, when are you going to change things? Lord, this world is getting worse and worse by the day. Lord, people are becoming more violent and more violent by the day. Lord, there, there, is, there is sin abounding in this world. Murders. All of the horribleness of things happening in the world. Lord, when is the Messiah coming? When are you going to restore everything? And we could probably even in our own day have those same thoughts. Lord, when are you going to restore everything? Lord, the world keeps getting worse. Lord, I, 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 look, I watch the news or I listen to the news on the radio or it's in my news feed. The story's happening. I go, my goodness, Lord, surely you have got, you're on your way back. You're coming back because surely it can't get any worse than it is. And then something happens to say, yes, it can get worse than it is. For thousands of years, they had been looking and waiting for the Messiah to come. We get to John or to Isaiah chapter 9 and the prophet writes this in verse 6. He says, "For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace." It's not in my notes, but I want to continue on. He says of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end he will reign on david's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever the zeal of the lord almighty will accomplish this just a few verses earlier in verse two is where he says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light truly when the christ child came into the world the light came into the world. I mean, when we get to, John, to Isaiah chapter 9, and he writes for it, to us a child is born, who could he possibly be speaking of? Now there is a, uh, many times in the Old Testament, a prophecy, there would be a near fulfillment and one down the line, a, a future fulfillment, and that's the case here as well. But we want to look to the ultimate fulfillment of what he's talking about when he says to us a child is is born and he is of course speaking of the messiah jesus the christ being born into this world he is speaking of the one who came that first christmas morning in this passage we see that isaiah describes the coming messiah with four titles or descriptions the wonderful counselor the mighty god everlasting father and prince of peace I was reading this, this passage, and I came home the other day, and, and Lori was like, have you been listening to Handel's Messiah? Because there is uh, uh, one of the movements of Handel's Messiah that takes this, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and goes through this passage, and it just was kind of in my spirit and, and kind of singing it. But, but these describe the coming Messiah. And what we're going to do is, in this series, he, he will be called, we're going to look at these four titles that the Messiah has. And today, we're looking that he is the Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. 
Now, we live in a day and a time when, when there are lots of counselors, right? That, that it is, uh, and it didn't used to be this way, which, uh, which was not a good, good thing, but, but it's, you know, you may hear people say, you know, I'm in counseling for that, or I'm going to see a counselor about that, and it used to not be a popular thing to say that. It's okay now to, to say that because we understand that even no matter how healthy you are, that there are times when you need counsel that you may need a counselor, and that's okay. That's fine. But here it says that he is the wonderful counselor, according to Isaiah. Wonderful in the Hebrew is the word Pele. Now, it's not Pele, the, uh, the soccer player from years ago, but it's Pele, which means wonder. And Pele, it's interesting, is that the only time that it is used in the Bible it is, is that it is used to describe God. Is the, the, the word It means wonder, and it is never used to describe a, a human or a work of a human. But it is only used to describe a work of God. That It speaks of miracles that are extraordinarily wonderful and hard to understand. Doesn't that describe God, the God that we worship? That He does miraculous things, and many times those things are hard for our human minds to understand. The word counselor is the Hebrew word ya'atz, ya'atz, which means to advise, consult, or give counsel. So it's an appropriate translation to say counselor. And so together, wonderful counselor, Pele, ya'atz, would describe a Lord who is coming, who is a miracle-working, supernatural counselor. Anyone here today ever had a place where you needed a miracle-working supernatural counselor in your life? We would all probably raise our hands, feet, and whatever we could say, absolutely, there are times we, we get to in our lives where we need, we, we, we don't just need anybody. We, we don't just need Dr. Phil, right? We need a supernatural, miracle-working God of the universe. But maybe you've felt like a, you were at a place where you're like, well, you know, I need that supernatural God, but, but how could He ever relate to me? I mean, He's God, I'm me. He's holy, I'm just a human. Paul said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, He's pure, He's, he's sinless. How could He ever relate to me? How, how could He ever, you know, if I come to Him with the things that I'm weak with, if I come to Him with the things that I'm struggling with, how could He ever in a million years understand what I'm going through? I mean, surely He's like, you know, I'm God. How can you little humans be struggling with this? How, how could you be dealing with these things? Oh, you weak humans. How could you ever do that? And we might think, there, how could I ever come to God because of those thinking those things? I, I'm reminded of what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4. If you've ever felt like that, like you couldn't possibly go to God, the writer of Hebrews says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. The old King James, I think, says, let us boldly come before his throne so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, Jesus, when we come to him, he is able to sympathize with what we're going through because he's been here. He has been in your shoes. 
He has walked in your moccasins. He has been in your shoes. He's been in your place. As a human, he was tempted in all ways that we've been tempted, yet he never committed a sin. As a human, he faced the same things that we face. As a human, he faced temptation. He surely faced pain when he went to the cross. He surely faced betrayal by his closest friends who when they came to arrest him, they all scattered. They all left him. Peter, as Jesus predicted, denied Jesus three times. I mean, the ones closest to him betrayed him, left him, deserted him. He faced that desertion, just as many of you have probably faced at times in your life, and ultimately he also faced death. He's been where you have been, so the writer says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So when you're facing something, you're like, you need, you need counsel, you need wisdom, you need something from the Lord. You shouldn't go, well, surely the Lord, He's too busy, He doesn't want to have anything to do with me. I mean, surely He can't understand. He says, no, no, see, He's been tempted in all ways as we, were, we are. He's, he's experienced some of the same things that you have, and because of that, He can sympathize with you, and so let us come boldly before His throne of grace. Let us come before His throne of grace with confidence so that we can find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. If you're still not sure about whether you should come to him, Jesus says in Luke chapter 5, he said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That if you have ever felt like you have fallen way short of God's kingdom, that you felt like you've ever fallen way short, there's no way possible that God would ever want to have anything to do with you, that, that like God could never help you, He surely couldn't understand, doesn't care about you. He says, no, He says, I didn't come for the people who are well. He said, I came for the people who are sick. I didn't come for the righteous, I came to, for the, to, to lead sinners to repentance. I mean, here's the truth. Every single one of us in this room, at some point in our lives, we will need help. Certainly, as Paul wrote to the Romans in, in Romans chapter 3, I, I said it, he said, well, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect, and all of us are in need of a Savior. And certainly there are times when we are all in desperate need of the wonderful Counselor, the one who has supernatural wisdom, the one who is able to give supernatural, wonderful counsel to us but when we do approach the throne of grace when we do approach him and come to him there's a few things i think that we should consider when we do that if we want to receive the healing that we need that we want to receive what god can do in our lives to change our lives the first is this that when we come to him be brutally honest be brutally honest with him you may have heard before the first step is admitting that you have a problem that's a very true statement. I mean, until you admit that you are in need of help, you're never going to be free from anything. You're not going to be free from sin, addiction, bad habits, anything. You're not going to be free from anything. If you're like, well, you know, I could give that up if I wanted to. I could change if I wanted to. I just choose not to. Right? Pride rises up in us. We, I'm okay. I'm, I've got it all together, you know. I don't have an anger problem. Right? You know, we've, we've got it all together. 
But until we finally get to the place where like, we realize, hey, we've got, I've got a need, I, 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 the, you know, then we can finally get some healing. And when we come to the wonderful counselor, until you are able to admit that you are powerless, until, until you are able to admit that, you know what, I can't fix this on my own. And God, you're the only one that can fix this. God, you're the only one that can heal this. Doctors can't seem to fix this. Counselors on the earth can't seem to fix this. God, you're the only one that can fix this. And I've, I've tried, I, I, I've done everything that I can. God, I can't fix this. And it's when we finally get to that place that we can finally begin to find healing in Him. When you come to the Lord, you might as well be true, brutally honest because He already knows everything anyway, right? He knows what you're dealing with anyway. We see a picture of this in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. We see that, that uh, and there are many passages we could look at where we see that Jesus knows stuff that, that most humans wouldn't. But in John chapter 4, we find Jesus at a well, and he's, he's uh, sitting there as the guys go into town. They're, they're, they're going through Samaria. They get to the well. And Jesus is, is hanging out at the well. The guys go into town to find something to eat. And this woman comes to the well to get some water. And Jesus has this conversation with this woman. And this is what it says in chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And I love the very next statement. She says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. I always kind of laugh when I read that. Of course he is. There's no other way that he would know that. He doesn't know this woman. I mean, he doesn't know her in the, the natural. I mean, he walked up. I mean, if you walked up to this lady at the well, you wouldn't know who she was, but he does. He's the Son of God. He gives her an opportunity to come clean. He says, call your husband. Now, he, he could have just started out and just could have said to her, hey, you know what? The guy that you're with right now is not your husband. You've been married five times, and you know, you're living this life of sin, and you, you just need to stop it. But he says, call your husband. He gives her an opportunity to be honest, to be brutally honest. You see, the Lord is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knows what we are going through even before we ask it. He knows your needs, even before you ask it. He knows the desires of your heart. He knows the areas of your life that no one else can see. You hide it from everyone else, but he can see it. He knows the things that you're struggling with. He knows the sins that you struggle with. He knows the bad attitudes that you deal with. He knows the, the bitterness that, that you hold on to inside. He knows the areas where you have been offended and you've, you haven't been able to release that. He knows all of that stuff about you. And so when you come to him, you don't have to sugarcoat what you're going through. You don't have to sugarcoat that stuff with him. You know, you, you can come straight with him and say, Lord, I am struggling with this depression. Lord, I, I'm really struggling with these lustful thoughts that, that I'm having, Lord. You know, Lord, I, I'm really having a problem trying to figure out how you, could, how you could allow my friend to die like that. He loved you. Lord, how, how, can, you, how can you do that? I, I shared, I think, last week, my friend John, when, when he, his, he lost his wife, and, I, you know, he was, he's a pastor, and he, his wife, I mean, within the span of a month, that, that she went from fine to dead. Had two young boys now. Now he's a widower and has two, two young boys. And he, I remember him saying, 
I had a lot of, conver- he would say, I, I had a lot of conversations with God. And I knew what he meant. That there were times when he was with, with God, and, you know, and some people would be like, oh, well, you're a pastor, you, you, you should know all that. I remember that the, after the funeral, we were at, a, at the funeral dinner, and, and he was at a time, he and, he and his wife, they were, they were in the process of, of beginning to plant a church. And so now all of a sudden, his, his help, help me, I mean, she's gone. And so now, you know, he's, he's thinking, you know, what do I do now? Do, we go ahead, do I go ahead and plant a church? I don't even know if I want to be in ministry. And I remember this lady at the, this, and, and I'm sure she meant well, but at the funeral dinner, that she's talking with him, and I could just hear over in the corner, she's going, oh, don't say that. you got to keep going into ministry. You can't give up on the call of God. You can't do that. You can't do that. you got to keep going. You, and she was, I was just like, you, you have no idea what he's dealing with right now. I mean, he's just lost the love of his life, and he's, he's, he's going through all of this, and, and he's having thoughts going, you know, at, later on, having conversations with God. God, how could you allow this to happen? God, why would you do that? And we go, oh, how could you look at how could you go talk to God like that? See, God knows what's going on in our hearts anyway. We might as well be honest with him. He knows you're thinking it anyway. You might as well just talk to him. You might as well just tell him. Lord, how can this happen? Lord, I'm actually kind of upset with you right now. How could you allow me to get sick like this? How could you allow this this diagnosis? How could you allow this to happen? Lord, how could you? And so you just be brutally honest. God, how can can this happen? Just be brutally honest with him. That's why we can boldly come before the throne of grace because he's been here. He's, He's endured things. He's experienced a lot of the things that we have experienced. And so when we come to him, he doesn't go, oh, you little humans, you weak humans, how long must I put up with you? I mean, that's what God did a lot of times with Israel in the Old Testament, but they were just a bunch of complainers. But we can boldly come to him because he's experienced those things. And so he says, we can come boldly before him so that we can find grace and mercy in our time of need. We can just be brutally honest with him. So when you come, come to him, be brutally honest with him. The wonderful counselor. It doesn't do any good to go to the counselor and the counselor say, okay, what, what do you need? And I say, oh, I'm fine. Well, what, what issues are you facing? I don't have any issues. I'm good. I'm fine. But just be honest. If we want to have, have healing from the wonderful counselor, just be brutally honest. And after we're br- brutally honest, the second thing we need to do is we need to listen to the counselor's voice. Listen to the counselor's voice. Don't just hear his voice. Listen to his voice. You know there's a difference between hearing and listening? There's a difference. Webster says this, says hear means to perceive or become aware of by the ear. To listen means to hear something with thoughtful attention. You see, hearing is the automatic response that your brain does without you even thinking about it. It doesn't require anything to happen. You know, all the time we are surrounded by noises. We are surrounded by sounds all the time that we hear, but we train ourselves to not listen to them because if we listen to every single stimulus, stimuli, stimuli, stimulus, we listen to every little thing, we would go crazy trying to process every little noise that we hear. So we learn to process 
things. We learn to not listen to everything, but we hear them. I mean, even right now, you're sitting right here, and you go, I hear the furnace. You hear, you hear the furnace? If you're back by the computer, you could listen really closely. You could hear the fan in the computer going. If you listen really closely, the person next to you, their stomach's growling. You see, when I draw attention to the sound, all of a sudden you go from just hearing it, which you didn't notice it, to now you're attentively paying attention to the noise. Now you're listening. That's where hearing changes to listening. Because listening is active. Listening is purposeful. Listening is focused. It requires motivation. It requires effort. It's active. It's focused. It's concentrated attention for the purpose of understanding the meanings expressed by a speaker. And listening is exactly what God told Peter to do on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John are up there and they, they get to experience where Jesus is transformed. He is glorified in that moment and Jesus has a meeting with Moses and Elijah on the mountain. Peter, James, and John are like, Lord, we, we need to, to build an altar. We need to build, build things for all three of you. This is an amazing thing. And then they hear the voice of God. The voice of God in, in Mark 9, verse 7 they hear God, and he says this. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. Don't just hear the Lord, but listen to him. Pay attention, focused listening. When the wonderful counselor speaks to you, you've been brutally honest with him, now he speaks to you and tells you what you should do, gives you the wisdom, gives you the counsel that you need. Listen to him. Don't just hear him, but listen to him. Why do people not listen when, the, when somebody gives them counsel or advice? One, I think, is because, because they don't like the answer. Have you ever given advice to someone? They didn't like the answer. Sometimes we don't like the answer. Sometimes when we come to the wonderful counselor of the Lord, we, we say, Lord, I'm, I'm, you know, we're brutally honest. We stro you know, I'm struggling with this. The Lord speaks to us, and then we say, Lord, did you really? Is that really you, Lord? Lord, did you really ask me to go talk to that person and, to, and ask them to forgive me? Did, did you really say that? I don't think that was the Lord. I think that was, that was probably the devil that did that. Because the devil's always telling you, to go ask for forgiveness, right? We say, Lord, I, I don't know if that's it because we don't really like it. It's not, what, it's not that they don't hear the Lord, it's that they don't want to listen because they don't like the answer. Or another reason that people don't listen is that they hear it, but they really don't want a solution. They enjoy and revel the problem. Surely you have never known anyone like that where they came to you and you were, they were sharing with you the issue that they were facing and you said, here's what you should do in this situation. This is, you should try this, you should try this, and you should try that. And then without missing a beat, they go right back in. But I can't believe you. I told you she said this and I can't believe that she did that. And she, they just keep rolling on. You're like, well, you just need to do this. And they just keep They just keep right along with their problem. They don't want an answer to their problem. They're not listening to you. They hear you talk, but they're not listening because they don't want an answer because if they didn't have their problem, they wouldn't know what to talk about. They wouldn't know how to live their life without their problem. When we 
we come to the Lord, we're brutally honest with him. Lord, I'm struggling with this. Lord, I, I can't, I can't, I don't think I can do this anymore, Lord. I, 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 I'm hurting, Lord. I, I don't understand why you did this. I, I don't understand how you allowed this to happen. I, I don't understand why I'm facing this, Lord. I, I don't understand. I, don't, I, I can't, I, Lord, are you mad at me? Are you just brutally honest with him? And the Lord speaks to you when he speaks, listen. Actively be attentive to what he says. And then, of course, lastly, the third one. The third one is do what the counselor says. It's crucial because without this step, nothing's going to change in our lives. When the wonderful counselor gives you counsel, the ball is now in your court. At that point, it's up to you whether or not you will do what the counselor says. In Mark chapter 10, we find the story of a of, of someone coming to Jesus for counsel. Really, they're coming to test Jesus, but they, they come and, and, and ask Jesus some questions. And, and the, the guy, he's a rich young ruler, and he comes to the Lord and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus lists some of the Ten Commandments for him. And this is the, the young man's response in Mark 10, verse 20. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus says, here's what you need to do you, you, to inherit eternal life. He says, you need to know the commandments. You need to not murder, do, do not commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And he says, hey, I have kept those things since my youth. I've done that. Been there. Done that, Lord. Pretty impressed with me, aren't you? I mean, that's kind of the impression that you get from him. When he answers it, he says, you know, I've kept those things since my youth. I've, I've done that. And then it says that Jesus looked at him and it says that Jesus loved him. Jesus looked at him and he, he loved him. Because I believe that it sets up for what he's getting ready to say to the guy because now the guy, is get, he's getting ready to say something. He's getting ready to lay a bombshell, if you will, to the guy. And, and, and he's going to say something to him, but he's going to say it from a place of, of love. He, before, before he says what he says, we understand that he loves him. Sometimes, sometimes you have to say something to somebody because you love them, and it's not pleasant to say, don't you? Sometimes you know that you, you say, have to say something to someone and you know that it is going to be painful for them to hear. As painful for you to say, you don't know what's going to happen as a result of, what, of you saying it, but you know that you have to say it in order because you love them. It's one of the parts of being a pastor. Sometimes you've got to have tough conversations with people. Sometimes you have, to, you have to get one-on-one with people and you have to ask them and you have to confront sin. Sometimes you have to, have to say, hey, are you, still do it, are you still involved in this in your life? And sometimes, sometimes they, they will lower their head and be saddened and feel guilty. Sometimes they get mad. Sometimes they get upset. How dare you say that stuff to me? But sometimes you have to say it, even though you, because you love them, you have to say it. You, 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 can't, you can't skirt around it. Sometimes you've got to say it. Sometimes as, as parents, you know, you have to have those conversations with your, with your children. You know, you know that the thing that you're getting ready to say to them, 
that it's, it's, it's hard for you to say, it's, it's going to be hard for them to hear, but you know because you love them, you have to tell them. You, you have to say what needs to be said, but you do it because you love them, not because you hate them, because you want them to hurt, but because you love them, you have to say it. Jesus looks at the man and it says that he loved him and continues on and he says, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. The man comes to Jesus and honest with counsel, honest for counseling. What, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him, well, I've done all those things. And then Jesus says, here's what you need to do. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, then come follow me. He gives him the counsel, and he says, here's what you need to do. Sell everything. And it says he goes away sad. Why does he go away sad? He goes away sad because he enjoyed the things that he had. Is there anything wrong with having stuff? Anything wrong with having money? No. His issue was not that he had stuff, it was that his stuff had him. And so he comes to the Lord, and the Lord knows, because he loves him, the thing that is holding him back, the thing that is, 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 is keeping him from pursuing God with everything that he could muster up to pursue God, he knew it was his stuff. And so the very thing that he didn't want to hear was the very thing that, because Jesus loved him, told him what he needed to hear. And that was that you need to get rid of the stuff. Then you can pursue me. We aren't sure whether or not he actually did it. We don't know if the young man sold his stuff and, and he did those things, but we can definitely see that he wasn't really in a hurry to do what Jesus had told him. So when you come to the Lord and, and you have a need, how desperate are you to receive the answer? How desperate are you to see change, real change happen in your life? when you're struggling with something, when you're hurting and you come to the wonderful counselor and you are brutally honest with him that you're dealing with these things and then the Lord speaks to you, how desperate are you to see change happen? Because when the wonderful counselor speaks and he gives you the counsel, then it's up to you to do it. You can choose whether or not to, to do it. The Lord speaks, we have the choice to do, to do it or not. I quote the great Yoda, who said, do or do not, there is no try. We can either do what the Lord says to us or not. If we do what he says to, for us to do, then we reap the benefits of, of, of what, what God knows is best for us. If we choose not to do it and we continue on and we continue doing what we've always done, we'll always get what we always got. We won't have any change. We'll just keep going down the path that we've been going on and we'll have no real change. 
mean, what, what, if the, what, would the, what, would, what would you do, I mean, if the Lord said to you, I mean, if he told you to change something, would you change it? I mean, if the Lord spoke to you and said, the thing you need to do is you need to distance yourself from that toxic relationship, that toxic person in your life, you need, you need to get away from them. They're dragging you down, they're pulling you away from, you, from, from me, you need to get away from them. Would you do it or would you say, I don't know if that was the Lord. I don't know. If it was, if, are you desperate enough to do that? If the Lord said to you, hey, the thing that you need to do is you need to wake up a little earlier so you can spend some time with me each day, would you do it? The Lord said there are some things around your house or there are some things in your life that you need to get rid of. Those things are a stepping block in, in your life and preventing you from, from being all that you could be in your relationship with me. Would you do it? See, the truth is the Lord never makes you do anything. He never makes you do anything. The Lord advises, the Lord counsels, the Lord leads. But the Lord never puts you into a trance and makes you do, you know, like where you, he says, the Lord says, I want you to go apologize to that person, ask them to forgive you, and where, you know, you go and you go, please forgive me, and then you wake up ten minutes later and go, man, what just happened? God doesn't work that way. He advises you, he counsels you, then it's in our court whether or not we are going to, to do it. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard, but when he counsels us, the wonderful counselor, he knows what's best for us. 2,000 years ago, plus, Isaiah foretold of the coming child who would be the wonderful counselor. He has come and his name is Jesus. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the anointed one. The wonderful counselor. No matter what you are facing today, he is the one who can give you the counsel that you need. Be brutally honest with him. When he speaks, listen. Then do. Do what he says. Remember the, in uh, John chapter 2, the, the first miracle? where Jesus changes water into wine. And they, they come and, and, and Mary is there and, and Mary says to them, do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. That's wise counsel. Whatever the Lord tells you to do, do it. Do it. That's for me, that's for you, that's for all of us. And when we do, then we have the greatest chance, the greatest opportunity to see change in our life. The change that we've been seeking of the Lord for in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I come to you right now. Lord, I thank you for, for the prophecy that you would be coming, Lord, that you would be the, the child born, the child that everyone had been looking for, the Messiah that everyone had been looking for, the one to restore all things. And Isaiah said that you would be wonderful counselor, that you would be that wonderful, miracle-working, supernatural counselor, the one who knows us better than we know ourselves, that knows our needs even before we ask him, that knows everything, knows because you have seen the end from the beginning, you know exactly what we need to do in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that, that today, that just in this this reminder of this Christmas season that one of the things that, that, that you were to do and that you do 
is that you're a wonderful counselor. That whether we're in a church building like this or whether we are getting ready to go to sleep at night and it's, we're having a hard time sleeping because of all of the things that we're wrestling with and dealing with in our lives, that, Lord, we can come to you in that moment, that we can be brutally honest with you, that, that we can hear and we can listen to your voice. Then we have an opportunity to put it into practice and do it. And so, Lord, I pray that in this Christmas season that we would be reminded that you are that counselor. Because every one of us are in need of that counsel in every, at some point in our lives. Maybe at some point every week that, God, we need that counsel. So, Lord, we thank you that you are that, that great counselor, that wonderful counselor. Lord, I pray for any in this room this morning that, God, that, that they are wrestling with something in their heart. They're wrestling with something in their life. That today they take that to you, Lord. They maybe have been afraid to, have been afraid to even ask the question. But Lord, we know you know that what we're dealing with already. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would find healing for our hearts, healing for our souls, healing that God only you can offer. Lord, I praise you. I thank you, Lord, for your voice, for speaking. I thank you that you're still a God that speaks through your word, through your spirit you still speak and Lord I pray that there maybe there are some things in this Christmas season that people are dealing with that God that they're going to find healing from you in this season the wonderful counselor we praise you we thank you for it in Jesus name amen